Today's TPAs play a much larger role in the ultimate success of plans. What should you look for and what deliverables really matter? What are the most modern TPAs doing to help drive down cost while increasing member satisfaction? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and deliver stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Jeff Bernhard. Jeff is president of Continental Benefits, and it is one of a very few new fashion TPAs. And we thought with the increased interest in self-funding all across the industry in all segments and all channels, that it would be great to take a look at how TPAs are, are playing a prominent role and, and at the difference between what some legacy TPAs have done and what some TPAs that were kind of built from the ground up with today's environment in mind are doing and how that might impact an advisor's choice and also an employer's choice. And with that, welcome, Jeff. Thank you, David. You came from a carrier background, which is different than a lot of folks who are in the TPA side of the business. How did that inform your vision? What did you learn there when you said, well, okay, if I'm going to build a 21st century TPA, here's what I've learned from the carrier side. Here's why I'm going to build it this way. Sure. So, yeah, I spent 21 years on the carrier side. It was a great experience. Enjoyed it. But after 20 years, I knew it was time to do something different. And I think carriers do a good job in the system. I think they do the best with what they have. However, there appears to be a lot of channel conflicts that prevent them from being able to be flexible, being able to carve things out, and being able to bring really true best-in-class vendors to the table. So leaving the carrier aspect when I left and went to the TPA I'm with right now, I saw this as an opportunity to really go out and find true best-in-class vendors that we can aggregate all together to create the perfect triple aim. So that's exactly what we're doing. And we do not have a lot of legacy relationships. We do not have a lot of rules and channel conflicts that exist from 50 to 100 years ago. So indeed, we are new to the dance and we are being seen. So we're very excited about it. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things that clients always look to their TPAs for and still look to their TPAs for are ways to reduce spend. Can you talk a little bit about some what some of the newer tools and some of the newer thinking is around that? Sure. So I, I guess I'll start with, I'll mention three things. The first is certainly the ability to go down to very low thresholds for hospital bills. So recently I was in D.C. and my company was fortunate enough to win this Health Value Award for TPA of the Year. And I think any TPA TPA out there can do it, but what we simply do, give our secret away, which is not that much of a secret, but it's just practical, is we go down to very low thresholds, and for all hospital claims in network, over $5,000, 
we request an itemized bill to check for mistakes, errors, and so forth. And that compares to a lot of carriers that are at twenty-five dollars or $50,000. So we, we just pay simply more attention. And any TPA, any good independent TPA can certainly do that. Secondly, you know, if I asked you, David, to travel from where you are to Houston, Texas today and gave you no roadmap, this is in your car, no ways, no GPS, you'd have a very difficult time getting here. So we do use the DeerWalk analytic system, which is one of the best analytic systems, and it creates a true GPS. So everything in healthcare can be solved, can be fixed, if you have the correct map to get there. We certainly provide that to our clients. A lot of quality TPAs provide that to their clients. People need to know their information. And third, the thing I think is very important is the market individual consumers need to know who the top quality physicians are, specialists, surgeons in their respective metropolitan areas. That's been blinded to them for a long time. It's now time to bring quality transparency to the table. That information exists. We need to give it to people to make good decisions because high quality always leads to lower cost. So let's delve into a couple of those pieces a little bit. For folks who aren't really familiar with TPAs, when you talk about doing bill reviews on facility charges at a lower level, A, what do you mean by bill review? Aren't all bills reviewed? Two, what's, what do you mean when you say facilities charges? And three, what do you hope to find and what, what do you find that helps employers and plans? Sure. So what I mean by medical bill review is when most entities in the industry, like the carriers, when they pay a bill, they pay it off a universal bill. So the claim gets submitted, they get the universal bill, and they usually auto-adjudicate it. They pay the bill. And that's the equivalent of getting your credit card statement, just the front page, the summary, without all the details. What a good TPA will do is they will go down to a lower threshold, not twenty-five or 30000 because there's a lot of build charges for hospital inpatient and outpatient that are certainly below twenty-five and $30,000. they will start with a lower threshold, about let's say 5,000. And before they pay the bill, they put a process in place and work with good vendors to request the itemized bill, which is the itemized statement. So a trained professional can look to see if there's any errors and mistakes on it. And the good TPA will do the same thing on the out of network side. What do I mean by out of network? I mean that when a patient or a member does everything they should be doing and they go to a PAR hospital or a network hospital, they use a network physician and then an anesthesiologist jumps on and charges 400% of Medicare, we need to reverse that. We need to negotiate down that down on behalf of this all-funded plan sponsor. So on average, we find about 7 to 10% errors and mistakes over and above the unit cost that's provided by a solid PPO. So many people that are listening to this, I don't believe in discounts personally, but people in the industry talk about network discounts, okay? So if you have a 55% discount and we are able to get additional 10% out of it because of errors and mistakes, that's that 55 turns into 65. So it's just doing what we're paid to do, which is called the claim fiduciary responsibility. Is that threshold something that an employer who's working with a TPA can specify for the TPA? Because it's it's really an arbitrary number below which all claims, I guess, get auto adjudicated and above which claims get looked at in more detail. Is, is that do TPAs allow employers to ask for a particular number? 
Typically, no. TPAs and carriers don't. So I would encourage all of your listeners to ask that question of TPAs that they're shopping for and find those that go to a lower threshold. So as an example, we did some research and we found that between $25,000 threshold on a carrier network, carrier PPO network, and $5,000, we find 42% more claim dollars. That's real money, and that belongs to the self-funded plan sponsor. So, and also ask another question, your TPA, what's your auto adjudication? So, how many claims do you pay without setting any eyes on it? You probably want a TPA or a carrier that's in that 50 to 55% range, not 80 to 90%, because that usually means they're paying things they shouldn't be paying generally. That is huge. It always has been. But today we have tools like you, you mentioned, DeerWalk, which is a tool I'm familiar with that help us gather all that data. What are the most important metrics that that you're seeing and you're you're being able through DeerWalk or whatever tool another TPA might be using to feed to a client or to a plan to help them make better decisions? Yeah, so I think number one is which hospitals that you're using are egregious or high-cost hospitals. So as you know, because we have this kind of a discount game that goes on in the market, discounts have nothing to do with quality and have nothing to do with low net cost. So you really want to take a look at that data in the low net cost and and try to figure out where you're spending money most efficiently. In addition, DeerWalk allows us the ability to look at things like large claimants. So we want to take a look at those large claimants. Let's say your top 25 large claimants and see what's driving their claims. There could be things in there such as high cost specialty drugs. There could be things in there such as out of network providers that are, that are just crushing the system or taking money from the self-funded plan sponsor. And there could also be people that are have serious chronic conditions that we could target with their doctor, a very targeted compliant population health regimen, including their doctor. So that that is a clear map, DeerWalk is, to take you exactly where you want to be from an outcome perspective and a cost perspective. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years experience working with healthcare and benefit clients. And over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health's solution, go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. Now, one of the buzzwords that we're hearing a lot lately is population health. And I'm not sure that everybody really understands what that means and what the opportunities are there. Can you explain that and and how a TPA incorporates those best practices? Absolutely. So a TPA with a good system, an analytical system, will import data from behavioral health, biometrics, 
pharmacy, and medical claims. They will aggregate that data and work with a third-party vendor. We use DeerWalk. There's a bunch of others out there. And what we will do is we will get that into the system. Once it's into the system, the information will tell a complete story. If you are missing any part of that data, the biometrics, Rx especially, you have half the story. So typically when we take on a new client, let's say the client's got 3,000 employees, we typically ask for a historical claim feed. So we don't have to start from ground zero. A lot of times when companies switch from one from Blue Cross or to, to United, they're starting over again and again. And what population health means is that you use the information available, you put it through a set of algorithms, and you rank everybody from one to 3,000 in my example. And you rank them by things like we call predictive scores or things that we know these people based on actuarial data like Milliman, the Mara score, are going to have claims at some point in time in the future. You then stratify, you prioritize, and you outreach to both the provider, their doctor, and the member, and kind of create a command center of nurses around them. And the problem is, is that the average patient only has seven minutes with their doctor every three months. That is not enough to handle something as severe as diabetes. So we try to bring nurses to the table to provide support both to the physician and to the patient to coach, to answer questions, and help the physician best do their job when the patient's not in their office. Not too long ago, when I ran a TPA years ago, and the TPAs you've come in contact with in the past, the, the TPA used to have a network, the TPA used to pay claims, and that was pretty much it. Today, it's a very different environment. It's, it's a lot about creating alliances and partnerships. What kind of alliances and partnerships, and why is that important? So I think it's really important because it's very difficult. It's the, 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 the market is still dominated by the four carriers. And the four carriers have a pretty good lock on the market. So some of the newer, we kind of call them super super TPAs, are well-capitalized, they have good technology, are a bit of a salmon swimming upstream, okay? And it's because the carriers are doing their best to defend their, their turf, which is understandable. When you create alliances with other companies such as PBMs, carve-out specialty vendors, population health vendors, direct-to-primary care vendors, data vendors, reporting vendors, they will bring you to large customers that are looking for a different solution. So what it really does is it aligns you with companies that are interested as well in breaking up the status quo and improving outcomes and in, in, in reducing spend. If you're aligned together, it really is going to take a grassroots effort to change the trajectory that we're on right now. So we typically introduce each other to different prospects, different clients that want the same thing, which is improved outcomes, lower costs, and a better customer experience. So we work together, grassroots, to make it happen. Thus far, have the biggest successes been around the PBM area? I know there's been a lot of attention on that because of the hockey stick curve of the cost of pharmacy as a part of overall medical spend. I think it's it's in parallel with medical claims. So I think both medical claims, getting people to high quality providers and making quality transparency available, 
and providing data to people. We've done tremendous amount of things, we being the industry, being independent TPAs over the past three years. I would say there's a huge movement right now, and I say that you're just going to start to see the movement on PBMs because what's happening, and David, you remember this, when I left the carrier world three or four years ago, pharmacy costs were 17% of the total medical and pharmacy spend. Now they're 21% in three or four years. And that's because the rise of the specialty cost drugs and the bio, the bio drugs that are coming out right now. So I think you're going to start to see a lot of new niche companies coming in there, checking to see if the drugs that are being offered to patients are even appropriate because there's a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising. And if they're appropriate, are there manufacturer rebates or other ways that we can get that cost down? Because if it's gone up 4% in four years, what's going to happen over the next four years with a full pipeline? So I think to answer your question, medical's moving along at a great pace, pharmacy as well, but I think the best is yet to come with pharmacy based on a lot of money being put into these carve-out niche vendors and their desire to reduce spend. Well, and the niche vendors in pharmacy are starting even today, as you say, at the beginning of the process to spawn some niche. We're talking about pharmacogenomic testing and therapeutic equivalents and those kinds of things that we'd, we'd never talked about before, but they, they've been out there for a while. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think what you're saying is that some, based on the biological chemical makeup of a person, some drugs are not going to respond favorably. So if we have a genetic test on those people, not only do we save money, but we also save pain and suffering, right? Because these things can cause some pretty wicked side effects to these people, and we shouldn't be treating people with drugs even even drugs as severe as chemotherapy drugs, right? And put people through pain and suffering. If we know that type of cancer, that person biologically is not going to respond well to. So I think there's a human side and a financial side. We just have to bring science and math back into our business. For a while with some TPAs, it's been very difficult to run concurrent plans. And we're big advocates of direct primary care. And I know it's something you and I talked about a little bit offline. How do you see TPAs' roles in 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 marrying a direct primary care component with a high deductible health plan. Because for a lot of folks, the high deductible health plans have just created people who are essentially uninsured. I mean, they've got a card in their wallet, but they can't afford to use it and they don't see folks for their day-to-day stuff. Is that a challenge or can TPAs today handle that pretty, pretty easily? It's a great question. And my answer is not in any way, shape or plug for my company. I'm just going to tell you flat out just the facts is that I've had three calls this week with three different direct to primary care companies. The reason that they're coming to us is what you just said is that the employers are squeezing a balloon. So what I mean by that is they're raising the deductible higher and higher and higher. And the problem with that is not only can the patients or the members not afford that, but there's also a problem on the provider side, which means that the providers don't get paid because a lot of people do not have $3,000 to pay. So what we're doing exactly is that number one, we are hooking direct-to-primary care into our program. We will hook it into PPO networks. And what we're trying to do, let's say direct-to-primary care costs $100 per person, $125 for a couple, let's say. And as you know, that's a capitated rate. Anything that's done within that office, there's no claims. Now, we still get encounter data because we still want, we want to know what's going on. But as you know, 70 to 80% of the issues or opportunities or problems that someone's going to have can be solved by a primary care doctor. We love that. So what we're doing is basically building 
DPC into a model that if someone uses a DPC model, because there's no claims filed, there's no reason that it can't be under the deductible because there's no claims being filed. It's being payroll deducted. We are asking that employers, if it's $100, pay for 50, the member pay for 50. And if you're like myself, and I do not have a direct to primary care doctor, but I do have a concierge doctor. I can contact that doctor 24-7. Every time that I go see the doctor, I have an hour and a half to talk to her. It's a lady. And that's what people want these days. They want time and attention. Back to my original point, if you have diabetes or COPD or CAD or any chronic condition, you need someone to treat you. And when they can't treat you, we're providing programs to help those direct to primary care doctors locate through a concierge service the best specialist for that person with objective third-party data. And I got to tell you, the doctors have been absolutely direct primary doctors have been gaga about it because they tell me the problem is, Jeff, I can treat the patient all I want, but I don't have the time to research who's the best orthopedic surgeon, who's the best cardiothoracic surgeon. So long way of answering your question. Yes, I love direct primary care. I think that's the future. Now, what we have to figure out is how do we scale that, right? Because it's not so easy because it does require brick and mortar. So very excited about direct to primary care. And we'll be doing a lot with it over the next six months to one year. Jeff, in the minute or so that we've got left, what do you see as the future? What's next? What's on the horizon? I would say quality transparency. And what I mean by that is that soon people should be able to know the quality for every doctor ranked against their peers in every hospital for every procedure for quality and safety ranking amongst their peers. The fact that the industry and people have been blind to it up to now, to me, I think is unacceptable. We can find quality in any other purchase we, we want to determine value, but the healthcare industry has not done that. That will change. Jeff Bernard, president of Continental Benefits. Jeff, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. It's been a real pleasure, David. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.